Hello and welcome to BachCast. This is episode number 40. And in episode number 40, we're going to be looking at BWV 914, the Toccata in E minor for keyboard. In today's podcast, we're going to be listening to three different performances. I'm going to tell you right up front which ones they are. The first one is a performance by Johannes Maria Bogner. Uh, this is my newest recording and really the one that uh, I decided that helped me decide to do this podcast on this work at this time. Uh, I keep coming back to this uh, recording and really like uh, some of its attributes, and we'll be sharing some of those in this episode. We're also going to be looking at a version on the piano performed by Angela Hewitt. And the third performance will be on a harpsichord by Blandine Renault. Um, all three of these performers are ones that I um, uh, have, have some familiarity with recordings. However, the uh, Hewitt and Renault are the more familiar to me because I've had them longer. I'll also own other works performed by uh, Miss Renault and Miss Hewitt. And so it's interesting to, I think, compare maybe the old guard with a new performer, maybe. Uh, we'll see. Uh, before we get started with some examples, I want to just briefly uh, explain what a toccata is in box parlance. Um, the word toccata is used a lot by Bach as a type of piece of music. And the term comes from the Italian, to touch. Uh, and you can think of a toccata, perhaps a toccata pre-Bach, as a piece that would be played to warm up to. And what I mean by that is you would sit at uh, maybe an organ bench and you would uh, basically warm up. You would warm up the fingers. You would get used to the action of the instrument. You would be touching keys. And by the time we get to Bach, that really isn't the purpose anymore. Uh, he is probably thinking of a piece that has multiple uh, flavors to it, if you will. Bach is not a stilus fantasticus composer, but if anything he wrote kind of fits that mold of small sections that, that change flavor, it would be one of his toccatas. Um, and not the toccatas that he wrote for the organ. Those are a little different. Those are more like, I would call them preludes. Uh, these toccatas for the non-organ keyboard tend to be a juxtaposition of different speeds, different flavors, all put together in sort of a continuous movement. Uh, in these three recordings, it's only the first on the clavichord that breaks up the toccata into its four sections by tracks. The other two performances um, present us with the toccata as one single track, hearing it as one body of work. Um, and you're going to hear some of the differences, I think, as we look at the opening. The opening is very interesting to me uh, because it uh, are kind of a rest your attention, I think. Um, now, I want you to think of the Baroque sound world for a moment. We have the loudest instrument you could possibly play, likely the organ. And these are more intimate pieces because they're for a keyboard. And our choices of keyboard for box time are basically the 
the clavichord, which is a very personal at-home kind of instrument. You're not going to play a clavichord for a big audience. Uh, you've got the harpsichord, which is probably the mainstay keyboard instrument. It's somewhat portable. You can pick it up with a stand. You can set it up in different places. And there are some variants of the harpsichord family. In other countries, there are things like virginals, which are a little smaller. Uh, you've got the newfound piano that comes in in the seven, late 1740s. And you've got some other instruments that have been talked about in terms of Bach, like the Lauten work. Um, so you have some other variants. But I decided to choose the traditional option, which is a harpsichord, the modern option, the piano. And then there's this clavichord version. There's, there's really no evidence that this would be appropriate on the harpsichord or that it wouldn't be. Uh, I want you to think of these instruments not as oh, Bach wrote this for the harpsichord. Bach wrote it for the keyboard instruments of his time, and whatever that may be, whether it be a, a simple harpsichord or one with multiple stops on it, or one that's, that's at home, as long as the keyboard range fits the piece, likely it would have been thought at the time to have been appropriate to play. It was all about your audience, it was all about the size of the instrument, it was all about what you wanted to communicate. Now, I got to tell you that between these three instruments, there are some different capabilities, right? The harpsichord is a relatively medium to soft sounding instrument, and it doesn't have the ability through articulation of the keys to change the volume or impact of sound. Um, if you have ever played a piano, which you more likely may have played rather than the harpsichord, you know, if you if you play the note soft or you play the note play it hard, it comes out as a soft sounding or a loud sounding note. Uh, that that touch sensitivity was something that was seen as an innovation with the piano. However, it really wasn't the first instrument to do that. The clavichord has that capability, um, and so this this recording on clavichord became kind of interesting to me because first of all, you don't hear a lot of clavichord recordings. Number two, it's a very quiet instrument, and usually the liner notes urge you to turn it down and to, to kind of mimic the real flavor of it. I've actually had the opportunity to play a clavichord before. It is a very delicate instrument, at least the one I played. It does have a touch sensitivity to it, which is very interesting. Uh, the one I happened to play would have a touch sensitivity that was available after you pressed a key. Uh, it basically was connected to the... Uh, the wire that was producing the note and allowed you to um, sort of add some ornamental aspects to it. I would uh, call it aftertouch on a MIDI keyboard, that ability to press a key after you've actually played it to do some effect, which would be kind of interesting. Uh, I recently uh, became the owner of a Roly keyboard. Uh, if you've seen those, uh, Roly has come out with a new kind of keyboard that's very touch sensitive. It has multiple dimensions of touch sensitivity. Uh, you can push your finger down on it uh, after, of course, that it's the note's been sounded, but you can also roll your finger around over the keys. You can roll to the bottom, to the top of the keyboard, and you can get a number of special effects out of it, which makes it kind of an interesting instrument. Uh, not particularly well suited for classical music, but uh, nevertheless, it's a, a kind of a further innovation 
into something that really existed in the Baroque period. So we're going to start with what I call the vanilla version. This is Blandine Renault uh, performing Bach's Toccata in E minor, BWV 914. What'd you notice? Kind of uh, maybe a medium slow introduction. Da 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 yum. Da 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 yum. We keep hearing this little kind of phrase. To me, this is Bach evoking the old idea of a, of a toccata, the idea of, of warming up, and that the motive is, is sort of um, uh, by itself. You could take this at different speeds. You could you could speed it up. You could slow it down and. Um, Rendeau does a little bit of it. She starts very timidly, if you ask me, and she kind of works up to something. Uh, she is also playing with the echo effect in the repetition of that theme by using different keyboards and thus different stops on the harpsichord, giving it a different uh, flavor as she goes between. On the piano, it's a little more, has an elegance to it maybe, a little more of a roundness. Um, and less of a start-stop type of feel. Um, and both, I think, are somewhat demure. Um, they're not making a strong statement. And I think Bach's music has the capacity for a strong statement. So now we're going to listen to the version on the clavichord. And we'll, of course, as you may imagine here, something with a little more dynamism. Well, that doesn't last long when you play it that fast, does it? What do you think? It's a different sounding instrument. It's one that... Um, generate sound differently than the harpsichord, number one, um, and allows you to uh, press harder. One of the drawbacks of pressing too hard on a, on a clavichord is you will mistune the notes. You'll just overextend the, the string. Uh, but this is, um, to me, 
if I was going to give a, a winning prize to the opening, just because there's some there's some energy to it, right? And that energy is is not just speed; it's also that 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 punchiness and those dynamics that get applied. And of course, it's totally possible to do this on a piano, um, but. Hewitt, her style is a little more uh, romantic. It's a little more smooth. It's a little more there's there's, I would say a grace to her playing, um, and that's just probably not in her style. Speed is, but that sort of that that punchiness is something that um, I usually don't equate with, with her playing. So that was a very interesting, I think, juxtaposition of the different uh, styles. I'm going to continue now in the in the next part. Uh, which is labeled Un Poco Allegro, uh, continuing with the recording on clavichord by Mr. Wagner. So this second movement uh, gets very different um, uh, speed treatments, tempo treatments by all of the three players that I'm juxtaposing against one another. And one of the things I think that you notice there is there's this little contrapuntal piece going on here. There's this little um, juxtaposition of theme going from one high voice to a low voice um, back and forth, a kind of cat and mouse, if you will, which is right up uh, box sleeve as a technique. I actually uh, can't really point out a real winner here. I think all three offer something uniquely well done. Um, uh, while I didn't like the kind of slow start that Blandine Renault started with in this, in this piece, I like where she's picking it up here. And we're hearing Angela Hewitt now on the piano. Uh, I like her rendition, and I still continue to like Mr. Boz, uh, Bogner's uh, rendition on the clavichord. I think there's something there to enjoy for everybody. It shows you in a piece like this that's somewhat free form that there are some things we can play with, and tempo is obviously one of them. The second being uh, how much you 
bring out voicings, which again is possible on the piano. Um, it's possible on the clavichord. It's less possible on the on the harpsichord, but there are there are ways uh, other than your articulation or just the the raw volume uh, in which to pull out the different voices. And I think all three performances do it, uh, some more subtly than others. Uh, the piano one being somewhat subtle to me, but uh, when Hewitt's playing the upper register of the piano, it just seems to stick out or ring out a little more. And I don't—I think that's less uh, part of her playing, and just more of the voicing of a piano. I'm going to skip ahead now to the ultimate portion of the toccata, one of my favorites. It's typically paid, played fast. It is the fugal portion of this toccata. flavoring. Um, in the piano version, I think Angela Hewitt does a really good job at uh, keeping the three voices in that fugue separate. Um, it's, she, she's playing in such a way that it makes it easy for us to hear the distinction between those three voices in a fugue. And Bach uses a really long theme here for this fugue. Uh, it's kind of involved, there's a lot of notes there, and then there's some some playback where you get the thematic material against two voices that are sort of uh, against that main theme. 
and we've heard that now three different versions. Now the second version on the harpsichord for me was probably the weakest in terms of articulating the ideas that Bach puts down. For me it was a little more difficult to hear the distinction between the voices just because of the instrument. Uh, the tempo was uh, a little slower than the piano version, but I think they both work. I also think the tempo in the version we just heard on clavichord works as well. However, I really love what comes to the fore in the playing uh, by Johannes Maria Wagner. What they're doing, uh, what you're hearing, is sort of a micro-level dynamic that we're not hearing in the other versions, which I think just accentuates what makes uh, this theme of Bach so delicious. have it, three different recordings of Bach's um, E minor toccata for keyboard. I hope this gave you a glimpse into some of the differences between the instrumentation that modern performers have when they approach a work by Bach. And even though the instrument says a lot, there are differences between the performers. Um, the type of playing I'm talking about in this clavichord version where within that little thing, the He's, he's, he, he's altering the dynamics between the notes, which to me is just an interesting way. That could, be, that could have been done on the piano. Uh, instead, uh, Hewitt doesn't engage in that. She, he, she treats it more evenly as a theme, which I think classically probably is the, is the smarter thing to do. I, I do like delving a little deeper into the music and seeing what we can sort of take out of it. And I think this, this newest recording, at least to me on the clavichord, attempts to do that and therefore gave me sort of a new take on, on this particular work. Uh, you know, there are lots of recordings of box, box toccatas. Uh, I actually own more than what I've shown you today, but as I continue to explore them, I just want to give you the same three each time. So I've, I've given you just three in this example, and I think they point out for me some of the difference in, differences in performance. And I hope that this uh, episode also uh, demonstrated to you what a Bach toccata for keyboard is. Many of them share some of the characteristics that, uh, that I hopefully exploited for you today in this podcast. And hopefully if you're unfamiliar with these works that you uh, check them out, or if you haven't visited them in a while that you rediscover them. And maybe you rediscover them through a new recording. Uh, if you visit Bieberfan.org, that's B-I-B-E-R-F-A-N.org, the home of Baroque music, you will find show notes for this episode. Um, very special episode for us, episode number 40 of the Bachcast. Thanks for listening. I'm John Hendren. <laughs>